Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to the Four Prompts on Death podcast. The podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts of I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This month, we sit down with Matt Misho. Matt is a 35-year-old firefighter, paramedic, CrossFit affiliate owner, father, and husband. I met Matt when I lived in New Hampshire, and I had the great privilege of coaching at his CrossFit gym, Ever Proven CrossFit. In this conversation, we discuss how he processed the recent news of his wife's breast cancer diagnosis, the unexpected dangers associated with firefighting, and how his children help him leave those dangers at work. And so, uh, just for some quick housekeeping before we go back to Matt in this excellent conversation we had, um, sorry for releasing this a little bit on the later side. I'm releasing this kind of in early November when I should have released it a few weeks ago, but, you know, life and the whole election stuff is... uh, in the air heavily right now, so was, you know I have some distractions and things that I check my phone over regularly. <laughs> so um, I will be releasing another interview in the next week or so. So you'll I'll get back to a week uh, monthly uh, interview released uh, for you all, um, and I'll continue like just releasing new ones once a month, uh, so I won't clog up your feed. Um, I hope that'll be nice for you all. Um, yeah. Oh, and then uh, some other housekeeping. Uh, I'm thinking about starting a Go podcast, so keep your eyes op- ears open for that. I will. Uh, probably have something uh, in the wings or ready for you uh, in uh, probably for this ne- uh, coming up one for November, this November interview. So, yeah. All right. So back to Matt. Matt is a firefighter, paramedic, a CrossFit affiliate owner, a father, and a husband. Before Matt dies, he wants to set his family up for success, to live his life as a good person, and to go and experience things. When Matt dies, He wants to be surrounded by people he cares about. After Matt dies, he wants to be remembered by his family in a positive way and things in his life that live on. In conclusion, Matt says, if you are somebody who is having a tough time in your life and you want to get yourself out of the predicament you are in, I think one thing you can do to make everything better is to see where you can help others because you'll get satisfaction out of that and is going to feel very rewarding and help you feel better about who you are and what you are. And it's going to dictate who you are going to become in the future. I think those are very wise words, Matt. So um, this interview, we completed it, we conducted the interview back in April, so back when COVID was relatively new. And the reason why I reached out to Matt, uh, despite us knowing each other for about almost half a decade, no, like a decade now almost, um, is that um, I... So COVID happened, and then I saw also that his spouse, Katie, uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I reached out to Matt because I had been meaning to interview him because of his you know, firefighter paramedic background. I think that's a very interesting lens on mortality. Um, but also I thought that the, the, the cancer diagnosis, you know, and, and for it to be not his diagnosis, but, you know, his spouse, his family's diagnosis, I think that was very interesting. Um, and I do plan on interviewing Katie in the very near future. Um, because, uh, so, <laughs> so I, you know, I think COVID happening, disrupting everybody's life is interesting. And then I think, uh, the breast cancer diagnosis happening, to disrupt their life, their family life, because they have a five-year-old boy, they have a very young two, I think a one or two-year-old now. And uh, so, you know, it's, it changes the fabric of the family. Um, and I think, so 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 going back to the thread I was talking about, so the, the weird thing about the interview is that this was actually conducted the day before Katie uh, had her, uh, like, a lymph node 
uh, surgery, so really being able to stage the the, the level of cancer in her. Um, and it turns out the, the, the cancer had not spread to the lymph nodes, and as of now, she has completed chemotherapy, and I think things are all looking uh, relatively good for um, Katie and the family uh, in terms of the cancer. Um, so it's just a very interesting time for us to speak about, you know, death, dying, and all of the events surrounding it um, for Matt, because something that we talk about in the conversation is how, you know, he, you know, as a firefighter and a paramedic, you know, he, when people, when, you know, shit goes down, he's the kind of person who will be cool, calm, collected, figure out kind of what are the next steps? How do we move on from this? And doesn't get into like, ooh, into a, like a hot mess of a panic. Um, however, when he got the news and, you know, he tells this story very well about, how he really kind of heard for the first time, like, oh, this is cancer and it might be bad, um, and how he went into the panic and how things are very different when, you know, you're talking about somebody else's problems and their panic, and it's a very different thing when it's yours. And I think it kind of shows in the conversation. There are, you know, we, we talk, you know, I think there's a different, there are almost two different sides to Matt that comes out in this conversation. There's like the, there's the, the, the helper and then there's the dude. Um, and I think they're both, it's very interesting to hear things from the helper side, you know, uh, about the dangers that are associated with firefighting and being a paramedic. You know, some, some of it is you see dangerous people. Sometimes you see, um, you know, you run into a burning building and those are, you know, going into the conversation, those were sort of the things I was thinking about, but also as a firefighter and a paramedic, you see, you know, you see, you see, you see dead people, you see people that have been murdered and you, um, you know, there's a lot of stress associated with the work, not just, um, you know, seeing those things, but also the shift works doing 24 hour shifts, um, seeing Mackenzie do them, I just see how brutal they are um, and how much they disrupt your sleep schedule. Um, and there's a lot to that um, first responder life that is not seen and not known and only, you know, we, we think of, you know, 9-11 and, the, you know, the firefighters running into the, fire, into the building, but there's also, you know, the, we're also hearing now about, like, you know, the, the, the cancer associated with it, the increased risk of health and other issues going on with firefighting and being, uh, you know, in those kind of, um, intense environments. Um, so I, and that's to say there's, you know, there are two lenses, you know, there's, there's Matt when he talks about the things that happen at work. And then there's Matt when he, we talk about things in his life, uh, the suicides in his life, the, the death and how he processes, uh, Katie's diagnosis, which was relatively new. And I didn't dig too much into it. Um, because I think that there was still, there was a little bit of time that he needed to really uh, think and process. And, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think that what, what what I do in the interviews is to show where people are um, and maybe give a little nudge if I think that there's a, you know, a nudgeable thing, but I don't try to uh, get people to where I think they need to be for whatever reason. Um, so I just wanted to kind of, like, I let Matt talk about things. Um, and I didn't push too hard about like, okay, so what happens if Katie's diagnosis is bad? What happens if she dies? And what are you going to do with Abel? And, and um, I think her name is Olive. I'm sorry, Matt, I should know this. Um, all of those kinds of things. I think that I could ask that. And I think I will, I definitely will get into that with Katie, because I know that that's definitely something that she's been thinking about uh, through this whole process. Um, and so it was a really, it was just, it was a great conversation. Oh, and then another thing about, uh, to mention just in, to 
temporally place this interview. So this happened uh, in April. And so when we talk about stuff that happens with CrossFit, we talk about the, um, you know, the, the Back in like early 2020, 2019, there were some changes to the way that the CrossFit Games or like the athletic uh, competitive side of CrossFit was run. Um, there was like the media team that was dis disassembled and um, re there were a lot of rejiggering of what CrossFit was back in late 2019, early 2020. Um, and trying to focus more on the health side of things and, uh, you know, tackling like big soda and sorts of, so those sorts of things like that. Uh, but since then, there's, there's been a lot that has happened in CrossFit uh, there's, uh, that we didn't get into and that we um, didn't know was on the road. So if you hear the w way we talk about CrossFit, and just for people that don't know, um, that aren't in that kind of functional fitness world, uh, the CE the previous CEO, Greg Glassman, founder of CrossFit, uh, made some you know uh, very unsavory tweets uh, after the death of George, George Floyd and in the wake of the um Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, spread of movement during the COVID pandemic. And uh, he since stepped down and sold the company to a new uh, CEO. And we're still kind of uh, collectively sort of waiting to see how things are going to shake out in the wake of that uh, leadership change. And so that's not something that we were talking about when we talked about CrossFit, um, though I would love to hear Matt's perspective on what all this, all that stuff is going on, um, because I know a lot of people de-affiliated and there was... Um, a lot going on with what does it mean to be a CrossFit owner if you associate with a, you know, anyway. But that that's not stuff that we talked about, but I think that'll be interesting to dig into in a future interview with Matt. Um, and I think that's all that I need to do to set this interview up for you listeners. So I hope that you are ready to hear a really lovely conversation with Matt Michaud on death. It is April 9th, 2020. I'm sitting here in my Orfield, Pennsylvania home, and Matt Michaud is sitting in his Rollinsford, New Hampshire home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Matt, what are the four prompts? So I am Matt Michaud. Um, I am a uh, firefighter paramedic and dad and a CrossFit affiliate owner. Um, before I die, I want to just be able to set my family up for uh, what they're going to need when I'm gone. Um, when I die, I want to be with my family. I would really, you know, you, nobody can choose how they die or whatever, but um, I would love to be surrounded by the people I care about. And after I die, I want to do things in my life um, that inspire others to do good things. Excellent. So there's a lot, a lot of good stuff to dig into here for. Um, so for this first one of I am, I, I heard paramedic, firefighter, CrossFit affiliate owner, father, mm -hmm. and was, what else was on the list? Just to, so I'm sure. Yeah, um, you know, I think those are the big ones that those, I said. Those are the big ones. Those are, those are the big ones for sure. Um, so which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, I mean, I'm open to any of them. Let's explore. All right, let's start with um, let's start with CrossFit affiliate owner. What's that like? Because you've you've been doing that for a little while now, almost like a decade at one side. Yeah. So yeah, I've been involved in CrossFit for some time now. Um, it's I found it in a couple different channels, and like there's no one real way that pointed me to it that I can point out. But I remember being like intrigued by it, and like um, you know finding about it in several ways. So going back um, into my college days. I was writing a paper on um, the glycemic index and um, it was just about, you know, a health and nutrition class that I was taking and I had to do, you know, something on that. And so, you know, 
back in the day. I think it was, I don't even know if it was Google, maybe it was like Yahoo or whatever, <laughs> but uh, it was a search engine and I searched glycemic index and I was just looking for information on it. And I found a CrossFit Journal article that was like probably the most comprehensive of any, if, or easy to understand, like piece of information I could find about it then that wasn't like stale. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up using that as a reference and like, um, I was like, what is this CrossFit thing? I'm like, I'm just into fitness. I like working out. I've always been like somebody who's been pretty active, played some sports growing up and stuff like that. So I investigated like what is this CrossFit thing? And I thought it was just gonna be like, you know, you know, more articles and then I realized it was like a training methodology. So I was like, all right, let me look at this and see what it's about. And I liked the ideas that were surrounding it, but I couldn't really understand it at first because I would look at a workout and I'd be like, All right, it's today it's front squat, like three, three, three. That that's it. All right. Like, I don't get that. You know, so <laughs> And then there was like other days that were like, okay, what does this mean? You know, like, it was just like, I had to like, you know, peel back the layers of the onion on that. So fast forward to a summertime when I was like, um, going, I went back home for a summer, um, my hometown and I ended up uh, like linking up with this dude named Dick Kimber. He was a kickboxing champion, like retired, like really intense guy. (laughs) Uh, I ended up uh, doing some training with him and uh, he did like this boxing fight training. And I, and I showed him, I was like, Hey, did you ever hear this CrossFit thing? And he showed, he, me and him gave it a whirl and did something like kind of dug into it a little bit. And like, this is a dude that was like, I couldn't move him. Like if he just stood up and he's like, yeah, try to push me over. I, I just wasn't going to do it, you know? <laughs> uh, so me and him tried this out and it just, you know, it, it was like, he said he was like this is like fight training so uh, i kind of started doing it on my own and following it and incorporating i wasn't like 100 percent committed to it yet but i was incorporating it into the things i was doing and was this still during college or after college this is like a progression over a few years so mm-hmm. i was like i would do a crossfit workout here and there or like intervals but it really wasn't i was still doing like your traditional like you know globo gym style style workouts but I really liked this other thing more because, you know, it was intense and it was fun and it was, um, it was just, you know, something that nobody else was doing. Literally, that's probably one of the reasons why I kept doing the other things too, because nobody else was doing what I was doing. I was getting like weird looks and mm-hmm. like, there was no crossing. So then I found like these affiliate forums online or not affiliate forums, which is like forums online that I, you know, you could chat with other people that were doing CrossFit and I kind of had some ideas that I got from there. Um, and then one day I saw a place in Dover that had, um, we had like a small smudge fire, um, at one of the buildings here in town. And then I saw on the, one of the windows nearby, there was the word CrossFit. And I was like, wait a minute, what is that? And I saw people running outside and I kind of was like, is there people doing CrossFit over here? So long story short, I ended up, you know, going and checking that place out and um like within like a couple months the guy asked me if i wanted to coach and that's kind of snowballed from there um they're no longer a crossfit affiliate um and then you know after a couple of years of working there you know i decided that they were going away from crossfit and i decided that i wanted to continue to do crossfit so uh, a couple of friends of mine and i like got together and we started doing it in my basement 
And uh, I had a Harley Davidson. I sold the Harley Davidson and bought some equipment and <laughs> kind of snowballed from there. And all of a sudden there was like, you know, 40, 50 people coming to my house. And I'm like, wait a minute, we should probably not do this out of my house. <laughs> so the neighbors think we're weird. No, so um, then we ended up, you know, finding a space and just kind of, five, you know, snowballed from there. Mm. And so um, just just to circle back and make it clear, like when you talk about that smudge fire, which in, in uh, like that brought you to kind of like see the cross, that was you responding as a firefighter. <laughs> Yeah, so I was there. We had this little fire, and then um, I just noticed like there was that going on. So I put that in my back of my mind, gotcha. you know. And I was like, I'm gonna go in a couple of days when I'm off duty and check this place out and get the info. And then I really understood like what the community part of it was, and like mm. the shared suffering and that shared, you know, like feeling of like we did this together really meant. Um, so starting to feel like. I think that's really what ties it all together. Mostly is that like community feeling, mm-hmm. you know, you fit and you can just like, it's much easier to work out in a group doing CrossFit than it is by yourself. Unless you're really self-motivated, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I still do like right now you kind of have to be, but um, you know, it's still, still something that I get, I get a lot of joy out of <clears throat> doing it with other people. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I think that speaks to like the whole you not diving too deep into it when you were just a dude working out alone, doing the CrossFit alone versus like once you found the people, you were like, okay, let's, let's, let's dive into this because it's pretty fun. Yeah, that pretty much made me like go all in on it. Like I canceled all the other gym memberships that I had Mm. and was like, all right, I can do this. Like, this is all I need. And then, you know, from there, it's you, you, you know, you start coaching at the other gym, you start having people work at your house, and then you get the first, that, that location in the bottom of the mill building in Exeter, yep. that was the first, the first, like, affiliate spot for you guys, right? In Dover, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Dover, yeah. And then you moved to Exeter, right? Uh, so, so we ended oh, you up... expanded, you, right? Yeah. You doubled. Yep. So we had, we built the new gym in Dover, so we mm-hmm. had the new building um which is like apparently like people say it's really like big compared to a lot of other gyms um i visited a lot but like i just for us it's just normal so i don't think of it that way but then we decided um one of the coaches that was working for us you know he had always had a lifetime goal of opening his own place and i said hey why don't we help you do that together um so we ended up opening a second affiliate with him in exeter um, so it was like a 30 minute separation between the two gyms. So it wasn't like one was going to pull from the other or anything like mm-hmm. that. You know, it's a good location. They had a CrossFit gym in that town that um, had um, closed down. We actually were in discussion of buying it at one point, um, but just things didn't work out with that. So, you know, fast forward another year, then we brought it back to that town. Um, that said, um, you know, this is a time when Katie got pregnant again um and so we were about ready to have another child and my role was supposed to be kind of like an overseer of like how things were going um and uh our partner down there definitely was a little overwhelmed and he wanted us to be there physically um which was really hard for me to do specifically uh just because kids and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. i had this feeling that I wasn't contributing to the level I wanted to. 
Um, so I decided to sell my shares. Um, and now they've rebranded and uh, become their own affiliate. So I have no bad feelings for them. Um, but I sold, yeah, I sold my portion of that gym. Um, and uh, if I was going to do it again, it would just be managed a little bit differently. I don't regret it at all. And I'm super happy that they're doing and doing well with it. Um, but yeah, that was kind of an experiment. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I am hearing a lot from people who start CrossFit affiliates is just, it's like the whole diving into like the small business, like aspect of things is this whole, like you, you might like love the fitness part. You might be really good at it and you're like competitor or whatever, but then there's the whole, there's this whole other side of the coin, which is the whole, like keeping money coming in, making sure you're not spending like all of that. And that's a whole aspect. And, you know, I want to talk about that specifically because you're not just the affiliate owner. You are also a full-time firefighter. Is that right? Yeah. And balancing the two is definitely a challenge, um, especially somebody who didn't have a business background. You know, we've made a million mistakes in the business side of things, but then, you know, you learn from those mistakes. You learn from other people's mistakes. Networking has been huge. Communication has been huge. Um, so, you know, we finally turned that coin of like, Hey, we can either keep doing this and killing ourselves, or we can kind of, um, you know, try to learn about some things. Mm -hmm. So we ended up hiring a business mentor, um, specific to the, the, the gym industry. And, um, I chose a business mentor that has a lot of like, uh, values and morals that are very similar to mine. So I read the book, um, help first by Chris Cooper mm -hmm. and he has another book, book called two brain business. And then he has a business mentoring program called two brain business. And it's grown exponentially over um, the years since he's been open. But, um, that pretty much gave us every tool we needed to have a business that's, um, sustainable and, um, doesn't forfeit our morals of like helping people and, mm -hmm. uh, take care of everything we need to take care of too. So that's been a super, important thing for our growth um balance and it's taught me how to balance the two between the fire service and um you know the the entrepreneurial side of me you know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah um and then i also want to like like just talking about like what was what was it like making that decision like i need to ask for help about business or like i need to pursue a mentor because it's you know from from like an athletic background it might be very easy to be like i need a weightlifting coach you know like ivan ivan like like all those things is much much more straightforward but like was there a resistance or like a process of accepting the idea that you needed help for business on the business side of things um so like i'm been very open to say that i don't know everything um and I think that we were going down a path where it was like, I could keep doing this and killing myself every day, um, mm. trying to balance this out, but it's going to come to a point where I can't do that anymore. And um, just being able to kind of take a bigger look at the bigger picture, I think that was, I started to look at the bigger picture and say, hey, maybe maybe this would help me um, to kind of manage um, and do things the right way. Because like I said, we've made a million mistakes. And the other side of it was like, how do I set these like our coaches up with like sustainable paychecks and like mm. you know like how do we get coaches that want to be professional coaches here um so now you know we've been able to kind of transition from having like mostly part-time staff to having full-time staff and people are dedicated to just being there all the time um so now you know it's grown and into something like that because that was the vision i had i was like how do we how do we get to the point where we don't have to like do this as a, a necessarily like a side gig um mm for some of these people, you know? And, um, so 
just trying to look and see who was out there. I saw some other people that were fairly successful by, you know, going learning by these principles and um, did a discovery call with them. And, you know, it was really good to just, you know, they wouldn't, they weren't going to take everybody either. So they wanted to make sure that you lined up with them. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of cool. So doing that call with Chris made it big, big difference on how we want to do things. And, you know, my thought was how can I make a positive impact on more people? Um, how can I spread? Cause I'm if This is something that gives me so much happiness and joy. You know, I wanted to be able to do it for a long time and how do we help more people and how do we do it? How do we keep helping people? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was a big thing. And um, I want to take that and use it to pivot to, um, so how like you, you've got like now you, you've transitioned away from like kind of like an amateur sort of thing, part-time giggy to really making a lot more like a true business, a lot of professionals in the business, um, yep. in your, in your, at your affiliate. Um, and how many, how many folks do you have as like a rough membership kind of like what's a normal number for you? Um, as far as membership goes, we're up over the 200, like regular members, Mark, probably in the mid 200s. Um, but then we do a lot of other things that are, um, with, with certain clients that are not necessarily like full-time clients or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of specialty programs. We have, um, you know, we've been running programs with youth hockey. Um, mm-hmm. We had a contract with the, with the town to, you know, train all the town's hockey teams at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we've been doing a lot of those, a lot of those specialty things. Um, we do a ton of personal training now um, on top of, you know, the regular day-to-day stuff. So we're doing corporate wellness. Um, oh, wow. we just, yeah, we just signed a, um, uh, a deal with, uh, SOS recovery, which is, um, before the coronavirus, we were going to get started now, but it's kind of put that on a back burner, but, um, SOS recovery is a, uh, a agency that kind of helps people that are in addiction recovery. So, um, we found, grant funding to um, sponsor uh, 10 people in addiction recovery that want to do, you know, surround themselves with a positive environment um, and stay, you know, drug and alcohol free, uh, substance free. So that's been a huge, you know, those they're, they're going to be, they signed a year for 10 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, you know, a big thing. So is, uh, is Ryan Chandler involved in that? Ryan's giving me advice on that. Um, okay. Ryan uh, is still doing that type of work, um, but he's definitely kind of was a link for us. Into yeah, this. yeah. I remember him talking about that when I was there. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and like it's been something that's been a goal of mine for a long time is to be able to have an outlet for some of these people that don't have anywhere else to go, you know. Um, and maybe they do have somewhere else to go and they're just trying to stay on the right path, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and so, um, I, I want to kind of like, you know, I want your take on what has, cause I know that the CrossFit at HQ has gone through a lot of changes in the past year. Um, and I think it sounds, from what I'm hearing from you is you might agree with some of those changes, maybe not all of them, but like, um, that's some of the direction that they're taking like with CrossFit health and like that, like, um, glycemic index article and how they're trying to push a lot of, you know, different publications and what, like, what's your take on all that? Yeah. So, um, it's a kind of an emotional one in a way, because there's certain things I love about the sports side of CrossFit and there's certain things I love about the other, you know, the health and wellness side of CrossFit. Now, in my opinion, was that a good, was it, it was a drastic decision that seemed to be made you know, Greg Glassman's an interesting character. Like I, <laughs> a lot of things that he does, 
but there's some like he always has a plan in his head so i can i can respect that um you know he's old school in a certain extent where he's not like on social media talking about everything that he's going to do in the next step and all that thing. Um, but everything he does has a reason and he's been successful because of the way he does things and now not everybody could you know do things like that um but he's somebody that has a big care for helping people he's somebody that has a big care for you know getting rid of disease and helping people stay fit and he doesn't give a shit about the crossfit games <laughs> and it's pretty apparent that he doesn't because that's well and good but like that doesn't help people that need to just get off the couch and it doesn't help people that can that are suffering from disease you know he's got a big war against sugar he's got a big war against coke and um you know pepsi and all the sodas and everything like that and i do agree with a lot of those things like if we didn't have these problems in our country and people lobbying for like you know he's been able to uncover a lot of the sketchy things that those companies do and just be like this is happening guys you know it's not like he it's not gotcha journalism it's or anything like that's not even journalism it's like guys as a society we're killing ourselves and we're creating disease that doesn't need to be here so you know i definitely agree with the health side of things i love how they're bringing in physicians and they're doing like physicians courses specifically for doctors um and you know, some people say that's promoting the brand and everything. Well, sure it is, but it's also helping a million people. You know, it's getting the word out there that there's ways that we can do alternative medicine. Mm -hmm. So I've always looked at the gym as a healthcare facility just as much as anywhere else because we're preventative medicine. You know, I've, I have a true belief that this is the way we should be going. Um, I love that seeing now there's there's uh, a, there's a gym and I've it's called um, the Drop in Dock. And if you haven't heard of it, please look it up. I've been in contact with these guys because I'm so interested in what they're doing. But they have a CrossFit affiliate with a doctor's office attached to it. And um, it's a primary care facility. And, you know, instead of throwing pills at people, you know, they're saying, let's go try to do some push-ups first, you know? Like, and if that doesn't work, then we'll, we'll give you what you need. But, you know, the fact that we have all this tied up in what we do to do now, 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 yeah, there's going to be this transitional period um, where we just have to get people to that, to have this be the normal, right? The physical activity is going to be the normal and staying away from the, the, the bad nutrition is the normal. Um, so to answer the question, I guess, in a roundabout way, yes, I do agree with that. that I, I love the fact that they started making this the forefront of the, of the company. Like this is what they should be doing. Um, now to talk about the other side of it, I feel like they left a lot of people feeling like bummed because there was so many people that loved that sports side of CrossFit. Um, and there was a lot of people that like, you know, watched it and were participants in it. Like there's no other professional sport out there that you can be an active participant in. So you take the CrossFit open, for example, right? It takes everybody who wants to do CrossFit and narrows them down. So it's this big funnel. It takes everybody who wants to participate in this sport and say, okay, you know, you didn't make it to the next level, but you participated in it. So now you have some ownership of it. You have a reason to watch it. You can be invested in it and root for the other people that are similar to you because they, you just did the same thing that they did. You know what I mean? You just did the same workout that they did. Um, so like Matt Fraser, Rich Froning, all these big top tier CrossFitters did the same workouts you did to get where they're at. Right. So that, that, is the bigger sense of that community. And I feel like that was really cool for a lot of people, you know, 
Um, you know, I like, I liked participating myself and I still do like to participate in myself. Um, is that the thing that's really going to help people the most? You know, maybe, maybe not. Um, I don't think it should have been taken away like the way, the way it was like no more regionals, no more of this, no more of that. But like people really didn't understand, I think the method behind it, because I feel like now it's being even more accessible to people because now they've got all these different sanctioned events. There's more of them. So now there's more opportunity to participate in it. It just was all of a sudden people were like, well, why is this being taken away from us? It's, it was a change and it was a drastic change, but now I feel like it's kind of come, coming back. Cause now there's like, like Wadapalooza and Granite Games and all these other like big events around the world where like you can still be an active participant in it. You can watch these events and now there's more of them and the season is like longer. So you can still cheer for your favorite athlete um, and, and uh, do a lot more with it. Um, but yeah, the format has changed for sure. Um, their media team had, had uh, you know, they lost, they fired a lot of people and that sucks, but you know, it's the nature of the business. A lot of those people got jobs in, in, um, working in other, you know, for these other entities too. Um, it was funny around this time this was happening. Uh, one of the major players from CrossFit HQ, um, dropped into the gym and me and him had a pretty good discussion about it of, uh, you know, how things were going for him over there. And, you know, he was very like, you know, it sucks, but you know, there's a, there's a plan for the greater good in this. So, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that there should be a full concentration on this health side of things. Um, and that should be the forefront of the business. And if the sports side of it wants to exist still, like let's give it to the people that want that to move forward. And I think that's what they're doing. And um, I think this is an interesting point to pivot to the firefighter paramedic side of you because, um, you know, like the firefighter paramedic, that's like your lifeguard, you know, in that role. And then in the, as a CrossFit affiliate owner, you're like the swim coach, right? And so like, let, you know, so like, let's talk about what, like, what, when did you, when did you decide um, like emergency medical response was like sort of your field? Like that's what you wanted to pursue. Yeah. So, um, I was in college and I was kind of doing a lot of different things. I was looking at, um, you know, doing some therapy stuff and I'd always been interested in athlete, being an athlete. So that was part of like, you know, I was trying to go down that athletic trainer, potentially, um, that path, maybe that physical education path. Um, and in the midst of that, I was like, man, like, you know, like, I don't know, I just got this feeling in me that I needed to do something for the public. I needed to serve somehow. Um, and I thought, you know, what can I do to better my community to be and do something I can go to work and feel good about? Like, so I remember, um, somebody offered me a job once and it was like going to be, uh, working in, in a corporate setting. And it was pretty much like, you know, a family member, um, there was ties to this. So anyhow, I could have gotten this job that would have been very, very monetarily, um, you know, lucrative for me. That said, I didn't want to be in the cube farm. Like I am not that person that like can sit still. I can't like, I've always been the person that like doesn't want to wear a shirt and tie and, you know, I'll do it if I need to, but like, I just am more comfortable being able to kind of live life and be have, have freedom. Right. So I also, and, you know, really want to be able to make an impact and do something I can, you know, go to sleep at night and feel good about. Um, and so that kind of led me to becoming a firefighter. 
looking at like, okay, what do we, what does a firefighter do? Well, they, you know, on the, somebody's worst day, they're going to try to make them better, make it better for them. Right. So it, it's weird to say that, but like, you know, on somebody's worst day, that could be my best day at work because I get to do the things that I want to do to help somebody feel better, to help the situation improve, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that was really what attracted me to it. And the fact that it's like, you know, a physical job, um, you know, I've, I think I've mentioned a few times and I think the basis of my life is physicality. Um, I like it and I like being able to do things that are like physical. I like being challenged and there's a lot of challenges in that line of work. Um, you also have to know a million things. You have to be very, uh, uh, I mean, you have to take a lot of education with you and you have to be very street smart, but you also have to like think about the process and the steps of things you need to do. So, you know, I really was attracted to all of, all of the things surrounding that. Um, you know, we, I grew up in a, I was in high school when nine 11 happened. So, um, you know, seeing a lot of that happen made an impact on me. Um, you know, like all these guys that, you know, marched into the, where everyone was running away from just to try to make it better. And that just inspired me a whole lot to try to, you know, make an impact. So, yeah. So you are 35 now. Um, when did you enter the fire service? I entered the fire service fairly young. I was uh, 21, 22. Um, so I've been doing it for a long time now um, and uh, definitely grown across my career. And I started out and, um, you know, just like ever, most people do, like finding that little call volunteer um, station that you can kind of get some service under you to see if this is really good for you. And then working into the full-time capacity. Um, I was hired right out of college. So um, I was still in college when I got hired. Oh. So I left out there. Um, got to finish my school and um, work for an ambulance company for a little while um, to kind of fill the gap and get some experience. Um, and then went and ended up being becoming a full-time career fire guy. And then um, you're in Dover. And then when did you get your paramedic license? So, yeah. So I worked for another department full-time before I came to Dover. Mm -hmm. so I came to Dover in like 2008-ish. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I was hired there in 2008. Um, so I went to paramedic school right after Katie and I got married. It was like a month and a half later. Uh, <laughs> paramedic school, which was, you know, I'd already had my EMT and my EMT intermediate at the time, which I don't think they even make inter or they didn't even have that class anymore. I think it's transitioned to advanced EMT everywhere, but in New, in New Hampshire, it's advanced EMT, which is basically the same as EMT intermediate. So anyway, um, I was an intermediate EMT and the opportunity came from the department said, Hey, you know, we need some more medics. Would you be interested in going to medic school? And I said, yes, absolutely. Because who turns down free education? Um, you know, and, um, and it's an opportunity to, to grow and an opportunity to help people more. So, um, I went through paramedic school starting in 2010 and then I graduated paramedic school in 2000 and became a practicing paramedic in 2012. Gotcha. And um, yeah, I think that that point you made about like somebody's worst day could be your best day. It's sort of like 
as a trauma surgeon, you don't want people to get in car accidents. You don't want people to get shot. But in order for you to practice your skills, people need to get shot. People need to get in car accidents, right? And that's sort of like the same thing with um, firefighter paramedic. Is it's like you don't want anybody to OD. You don't want anybody to like have their house catch on fire. But if you want to do the thing that you need to do, it's like uh, it's this weird like it's this weird uh, um, you know what you what you benefit from is somebody's worst thing but you also help them by being there it's not like you cause the fire exactly it's like how twisted is it that i'm like oh we get to go to somebody's house on fire you know what i mean like mm. oh man there was a car wreck it was awesome it's like wait a minute no it wasn't awesome for these people but mm. um you know it's just one of those things that it's just you know the adrenaline goes it feels you can't really describe it mm. um you know going into a building fire is probably one of the most crazy things you could imagine to do and you know it's uh it's just one of those uh adrenaline droppers you know Mm -hmm. like flows through you so yeah and um so right now you're working full-time what are your shifts like right now so uh we do a 24-hour shift um so we do a one 24-hour shift then i have two days off and then i do another 24-hour shift and i have four days off so um most of the guys do something else on the side. Gotcha. I'm able to to work at the gym and do all the things I do there. That makes sense. And right now you're taking time off from firefighting, right? I, I'm currently not. Uh, okay. I've taken um, Saturday, this coming Saturday off because Katie has surgery on Friday. Um, when she starts chemotherapy, then I'm going to probably take a little bit of time. Um, but, you know, there's, people talk about the fire service and there's a really, you know, they talk about the brotherhood and things like that. And, you know, that really shines forward when you have something like a tragedy in your life or, you know, something that's really taxing you. So for right now, um, you know, I'm sure you're aware, but, you know, anybody else, you know, looking into this may not know that my wife was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. So that said, the guys there have really stepped up for me and um, offered, you know, a lot of, to cover me, to to do what I need to do to... Um, take care of my family so it, when she starts doing more chemotherapy then it's going to be a little more mm-hmm. stay home for me um you know so when we first found out i took a shift off because i wanted to kind of process mm-hmm. it um but yeah so but it's kind of one of those things that you want to get back to feeling normal you know mm-hmm. and right now it's really hard to feel normal like there's mm-hmm. a new normal right now with the coronavirus and you know like if i could just go like coach a crossfit class and then you know i might feel some normalcy but i can't do that right now so mm-hmm. you know getting back to work definitely was one of those things that helped me feel normal mm-hmm. yeah i was i was thinking about it um i was talking with another friend a couple like a two weeks ago and she was you know she got a really bad head injury and for her it was like kind of nice to have the coronavirus happen because everyone was like sort of disrupted in in their lives in the same way she was disrupted when she had this head injury and i imagine for you guys it's weird but it's it's almost like everybody's on the same like massive life disruption page. Yeah, yeah, and then, you know like people have been super nice and like reaching out and trying to help us and everything like that. And um, it doesn't go without being appreciated or anything like that. You know, um, I know it's going to be a, a struggle. Uh, I wouldn't say a struggle. It's going to be a, a, a you know just like anything else in life. It's going to be an opportunity for us to to challenge ourselves. Right. So we're going to be challenged by this. And I know that we're going to be challenged, you know, medically, I guess, physically, financially. Um, so 
we're going to get through it. Like we'll get through everything else. Um, it's just about your outlook. If you sit down and you just say, this is going to defeat me and you're defeated before you even start. So we're not going to let it defeat us. We're, we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to beat this challenge. We're going to overcome it. And, um, you know, and it's not going to be a challenge It's you know, publicized in a way that like a sporting event is, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be personal. Um, but it's all going to make us stronger. I think um, now let's, let's pivot to that uh, father husband um, role that you have because it's calling to us. Um, so like, when did you and Katie meet? Katie and I met in college. Um, so Katie was uh, a friend of one of my good friends from back home. So um, she went to the same college. Um, and so one summer, um, my friend Brian Chevry um, was, we were working like road construction together. We ended up taking this gig as like, uh, like flaggers um, for like this road construction company. And basically we were like hired out and we had to take a course. And it was probably one of the most ridiculous jobs I've ever had, to be honest with you, because the training, we had to take a class, like a flagging class and all this stuff. And, you know, we were trying to take it seriously, but we knew we were only going to be there for the summer. And the guy that was teaching the course was like, super like, it just, his personality was like a WWF guy. Like, like it was, he just was like a big burly guy. And like, he was wearing white overalls. And I remember that and I like a, like a neon shirt under it. And I just couldn't take him seriously. He was like talking about like how to keep ourselves safe while flagging, and he was like, "You can't drink out of cans because bees are going to get in your cans, and you're going to drink <laughs> bees." <laughs> I just remember that to this day of like guy saying that we were going to drink bees. So <laughs> I just couldn't ever take it seriously because of that guy. Because um, it was he was like a comic book. Like the guy was just he wasn't trying to be that way, but it was just you know anyway. Um, so we we're we we're flagging and um we were listening to the radio while we were out there doing this stuff i think we were on the kankamangas highway um and uh we were somewhere me brian's kid steve um and i called into the radio um and i got um we i won some tickets to go see um leonard skinnard uh at, at, Guilford. So I was like, yeah, you guys want to go do this? You guys want to go see Leonard Skinner? Um, so, which if you follow music, it's not really Leonard Skinner because they all died in a plane crash, but it's like guys that were in the band and the guy that was a singer's brother. So anyway, um, we went to Leonard Skinner and we bumped into Katie and some of her friends. And Brian was like, Hey, this is a, Oh, wow. I go to, I go to college with her. And um, we ended up chatting with each other and, you know, kind of just shooting the shit a little bit and like whatever kind of day ended we can win our separate ways i didn't think anything was ever gonna you know happen so fast forward a couple of weeks our other friend ron um who also went to the same college as brian um always had this like end of summer like barbecue slash like get together so um it was he invited a bunch of people from his college to go to it and um we had a bonfire and all this stuff so we went up to this bonfire and party and i had actually went there with a, a, another girl um i showed up with another girl <laughs> so katie was there and i was like hey you were the girl from the um leonard skinner concert and 
yeah, we ended up hitting it off and I ended up chatting with her more than the girl that I showed up to with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, that was the, that's kind of the gist of that night. And then um, kind of moving forward from there, it was, uh, do you remember like AOL Instant Messenger? Oh, yeah. So like that was before, like we had Facebook, but it wasn't like it is now. Um, I was like, hey, Brian, do you have that girl's like AOL Instant Messenger? Um, so I sent her a note on AOL Instant Messenger and we started chatting on there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had to go take an entrance test um, at the fire academy, the CPAT. I had to take the um, physical agility test. And I was like, hey, I have to go down to Concord to take this uh, CPAT test. Do you want to meet up afterwards? And we met up and we had our first date. And uh, fast forward, you have now a five-year-old little dude running around. You have a one-year-old little girl. Just- yeah, it's crazy, man. Like, yeah, that's it's been it's like blink and miss it. But mm-hmm. you know, it's been uh, it's been a journey, and um, I can't say that there's been anybody better for me to have my life with than Katie because if you know me at all, I like to, I like to have fun. Um, I like to joke around and, um, you know, she's definitely somebody I can joke around with and have a lot of fun with. So like I have, uh, I have an Instagram account that's just dedicated to me torturing her. And like, so this all came from the stupid day. I had a video and I went in the fridge and I grabbed a, uh, like a piece of like ham or roast beef or something. And she, you know, she's a occupational therapist and she works from our house, um, goes on the road um, or she was at the time going on the road and going on visits with these people that needed occupational therapy. Okay. And she was getting ready for work. She was on her computer and she like gave me this look and I was like, whatever i videotaped myself slapping her with a piece of meat it was just a joke like i just threw a meat on her and she laughed about it and i laughed about it and you know so people found out about that and it kind of snowballed from there now i have a instagram account that just like isn't dedicated to surprising her with different things like (laughs) and blue vizalas and water bottles and those things so you can only do that with somebody that um, ha- is on the same level as you. Like I can see other people getting really pissed about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it just works out really well. I don't know. We have good kids. We have uh, uh, a little guy that's definitely my mirror image. Um, so he's a lot like me uh, to my wife's detriment. I think he's a, he's a good little guy. He's um He's definitely got a, a good heart and, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a caring little kid. Um, you know, he'll, we've had a discussion recently with my son that, you know, he came to me the other night and he was like, daddy, if, if there's kids that are out there that don't have a toy, I can give them one of my toys. And he just like said that to me. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Like, I want you to be like that. Like, so that was like, that one hit me. Cause I was like, holy shit, he's, he's got a heart. He cares, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how I've always felt. Like, um, I grew up when somebody was getting bullied, like I hated that. I didn't like, I didn't like the bullies, but I always wanted to try to help the kid that was felt like he had nobody, you know what I mean? Or felt like that they had, they were the ones being picked on. So, um, 
I was always trying to be an advocate for, for those kids. And I, I hated the fact that other people were doing that to somebody else. So I really hope that he has that same um, demeanor to him as well. And then our daughter, she's just starting to say words and she's, she's definitely got some of my qualities, but she's got a lot of Katie's qualities cause she, uh, she's not very patient. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's funny cause she'll like, if she wants something, she'll be like, you know, screaming about it. Um, and you can tell she'll be like reaching for it. And then if you take it away, she gets very frustrated. So, you know, working through the one-year-old and the five and the four-year-old soon to be five-year-old gig. Mm-hmm. crazy um and this is you know it is a tough question to answer but it's easy to ask is like what have you learned from parenthood you know like what like i know abel's four now so you've had four years of like this dude around and then you've had a year with a girl and like how is it different raising the two of them and like what uh you know it's like everything you've learned everything right but it's like what what specifically has have you noticed in yourself that's changed I mean, there's, there's so many take-homes. I mean, there's, there's things that you cared about before that just are like not in the priority. They're not in the cards anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. like there, there is like one thing I could think of several number of things, but like, it makes you a better person. I can promise you that, like, because there's so much more care to things. And then you realize that, you know, your priorities don't really matter anymore. Uh, And when, so when your child is born, you can instantly love them. And it's, it's impossible to do with anybody else. So like, you never have had like, you can't walk into a room and be like, I love that person. You know what I mean? You have to know them, you have to learn them, you have to do all these things. But now you have something like, how can you love somebody so much that you haven't met yet? You know what I mean? And that is a game changer of who you are as a human being, because until you experience it, you don't understand it. Um, and you, you can't even really describe it other than, other than how I'm trying to right now. Um, but I think that's the big, that's one of the biggest takeaways I've had from being a father is that you can put your, everything that you care about is, is secondary. Um, and it always will be now. Uh, you can still care about those things. It's just not number one anymore. Like you're, you have to be a lot less selfish. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that was the biggest thing for me. And then I also want to talk about um, this recent diagnosis for Katie and how, you know, what has that been like for you too, as parents, as you, as a supporter and, you know, it's a, 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 like this, this is like a thought that I just had was just like, how would, this diagnosis have landed on you guys before the kids versus now that you have the kids, you know, like that change with that priority shift and everything, go wherever you want to go with it. So I guess it's been, you know, up and down. There's a a lot of, you know, you you know, nobody wants to know that they have cancer. Um, Nobody wants to have cancer. Uh, It's not something that is a good, it's never good news. You know? (laughs) So, you know, obviously when I, I was, uh, it kind of came about because a couple maybe a couple months ago she was she found a lump and i was like oh that won't be a big deal you're good you're healthy you take care of yourself you know like it is what it is mm-hmm. and then um she went for the bio or the mammogram and stuff and they were like yeah we should probably look at this so um there's a lump there or whatever and uh so they even were like oh you're young you're healthy no big deal this is gonna be easy you know 
it's probably nothing. It's probably because she's breastfeeding at the time, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's probably just a, you know, a duct that got clogged. Oh, uh, side question. Does she have any family history of breast cancer? No family history of breast cancer, just family history of ovarian cancer, but it's uh, distant. Not okay. like, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, yeah. So, um, so fast forward into like a couple months, a couple weeks later, they do, they're like, yeah, we just want to like take some tissue, but like it, there's something in there. We just want to make sure we're probably gonna put the needle in and it'll just drain. So um, when the lady went to do that, it, it was like, hmm, wait a minute, we have to, we're going to take a sample of this. And then we got a, a letter in the mail basically saying, yeah, there was some abnormal results here. We, we need to see you again. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did a biopsy and um, the gym had already closed down and stuff like that for coronavirus. So I was in the basement of our house squatting where, because I couldn't go to the appointment. They only want, um, you know, mm, right geez, now yeah. pretty restricted about who goes to appointments. Um, so I was in the basement squatting and her dad called me and I was like, hey, or sent me a text and he's like, I need you to call me ASAP. And it's funny because he sends texts to me a lot that are just like, call me right now. And I'm like, oh shit, something's going on. And he'll be like, hey, do you have like a uh, extra, <laughs> yeah, or like whatever. And so I was like, oh, it must be one of those texts. Like, but it always like, it's unsettling to me because I'm always like, okay, I could call him right now because it could be something wrong. So um, I called him and he was like, hey, uh, uh, I need you to come to the house. And I was like, okay, this is weird. And, uh, well, Katie's here. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I just need you to come to the house. And I was like, okay. So instantly right then I knew, like, what was going on. Um, I was in the basement squatting. Um, and I was like, took all my, you know, uh, workout gear off, and just raced up to her parents' house. And I knew on the way there that she, they were going to tell me that she has cancer. But I was like, you know, what instantly I'm like, you know, I hate to jump to this conclusion, but instantly I'm like, fuck, I'm going to lose my wife. You know, like I'm going to lose my, my person, you know, I'm going to have to be with my kids by myself. Like I had all these thoughts racing through my head, like, you know, like that this was it, you know? And I think that's pretty, it might be pretty normal. Maybe it's just me being frantic, but, um, I just was instantly like, this is worse. This is worse. You know, jump into that worst conclusion. I'm not generally somebody who does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can ask Katie or anybody else that I'm pretty much the guy that like will be faced with some shitty situation and be like, okay, at least it's not this, at least mm-hmm. uh, it could be worse. I'm always trying to be the optimist. Um, just cause I want, you know, I want to be everybody's kind of, I've always been a lot of people's like, so people look to me and say, what the fuck do we do? I say, this is what we do. You know, no big deal. This is what we do. Um, with this situation, I found like, I was the one who was like, fuck, what do we do? You know? Um, so that's normally not who I am. But it was, so it exposed something to me that I definitely um, wasn't ready for. You know, because I was still being like, ah, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be that. It's going to be all right. Everything's good. You know? And then uh, that one was a pretty big punch to the gut. Cause it's like, no, I was wrong. It's <laughs> okay to be wrong, but this one I was wrong in a big sense. So, um, and this is all on the car ride up. <laughs> like yeah. all of your just, yeah. like, like I called my mom. Um, and I was like, mom, Katie's got breast cancer. And I'm like, my mom is like the most calming voice. And I think this is probably where I got it from. She's like, she was just like, okay, like, we'll get through it. You're going to get through it. And like, she she obviously cares but it, that okay was not like 
like oh i don't give a shit about this it was like just you wanted to hear that remember i talked about like that comfort earlier the home like mm-hmm. just talking to my mom in that second was like everything felt a million times better you know like it was such a common voice and it was like she understood me she understood what i was feeling because you know i'm her son and she cares about me and um it was uh it was definitely a well-needed conversation at that point mm. because i needed to i needed her at that moment and so you know who who does everybody go to when they're <laughs> in you know Mm-hmm. So, um, on the way there, we get there and then, you know, I grabbed Katie when I got there and just cried my eyes out because I had to let it all out. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was, you know, it's your, it's your partner, it's your, your wife, somebody you care about, you have children with, you know, like we've done so many things together and, um, we've been, you know, supportive of each other. It's like, she supports me just as much as I support her. So, mm-hmm. you know, like to think about potentially losing that person is really tough, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yeah. Along those lines, I have not felt much terror the last couple of years, but when I have, it was with the thought of raising my son alone and yeah. just like what that would mean. And like having, you know, just like that, that alone has been like the one most terrifying thought is just for whatever reason, if Mackenzie goes or gets sick or whatever, and just like me alone with this boy, it's just like, it's this scariest, it is truly the scariest thought I've had. Sure. And like, it's, it's not that what you're going to do because you're going to do it and you're still going to love them. You're still going to care about them. Um, but it's like, what are they going to be missing? You know, mm-hmm. like, so I thought about that too. Like, if it's like, if we lose, like, how's this going to, affect her what's this going to do to my kids how is it going to hurt them you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i going to harm them what can i because uh, i can't be two people you know mm-hmm. um so we do the best we can um if that's the case but you know luckily i don't think we're there yet <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know so um her diagnosis is that um, tomorrow she's going to have the um the tumor removed and they're going to remove some lymph nodes and um they're going to have to go from there and do some, uh, you know, measurement and see what stage it is. Cause they can't physically tell you the stage until it's, um, kind of, uh, been measured. And then if it's progressed into the lymph nodes and different parts of the body, mm-hmm. so that would kind of tell you what stage it is. And then, um, it's not a genetic, um, it's not, I'm not sorry. It's not a, uh, hormonal cancer. So normally, um, this is going to hopefully satisfy a little of your doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff uh but there's a there's the cell the cell will have these receptors on it and it'll either be attracted to um estrogen or progesterone and so when they did some staining um she didn't test positive for her cells being attracted to progesterone a little bit very minor on estrogen so that would be a negative uh according to the biopsy and um from the oncologist um, but she's her, her two positive, um, which means that, um, that's why she got the cancer. Um, but there's also another, um, BRCA gene that we have to do some testing for because that's a 50% chance that you're going to pass it on to, it's been passed on to you by either parent. And like, so males can carry this gene as well and not, not have, have it expressed. Um, but, um, 
she could pass it on to our daughter or her sisters could have the same gene. Um, but the negative about having that gene is that it's very likely that you're going to develop ovarian cancer as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, that will be a conversation that we have to have after, um, having going through this and getting the genetic testing done is that, do we want to have this? We definitely want to have it done for peace of mind, but if she's BRCA positive, then, you know, we'll probably, she probably have to go through another procedure to have her ovaries removed. Mm-hmm. Luckily we don't have any, um, we're not going to have any more children, um, at this point. So, and if we were, we would adopt, but, um, mm-hmm. so that's not necessarily a, uh, uh, a negative for us on that end of things, but you know, it's still another thing to add to the, add to the pile of stress because what if you get cancer and it was like the range was like the doctor said, um, and he was great. I really liked the doc, the doc we had. He was very thorough. He explained everything very well. Um, the, he basically said there's a 40 to 60% chance of uh, of uh, getting ovarian cancer if you're BRCA positive, and then he followed that up by saying, "Well, that also means there's you know this other percentage um, that's very high that you won't." So he's like, "It's pretty much fifty fifty and so you know to 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 polish a turd, I guess, <laughs> you know, with everything, it's crazy to have that just dropped on you you know mm-hmm. it, it's an, it, it's not even my diagnosis you know what i mean mm-hmm. so that's the other part of it is like it's like i might feel this certain way but how does she feel you know mm-hmm. like so um just trying to stay you know with her for that um there's definitely been some sleepless sleepless nights she's been up she's been down we've made a lot of cancer jokes recently because i think that's how we cope <laughs> and oh. it's been twisted but maybe maybe that is what it is you know so, you know, it was funny. Um, she's played it on me, you know, and she would never like play the play the card. But the other day she was like, "Hey, you want to take the trash out? I have cancer." And then she was that's a joke, you know what I mean? <laughs> she would never like that. But it was like I was like, "Damn, throwing that down, huh?" Oh. <laughs> And um, yeah, I want to, you know, I know this is like all very fresh. There's still a lot of like, you got like a lot of planning, thinking and processing, and you can't even really start to process it emotionally until you're like, know where things are going, you know? Um, So I guess I want to take a step back and I want to ask, did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood? Uh, So yes. Um, So I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Catholic school from like kindergarten through eighth grade. And when I was there, I was very, um, very, uh, very religious ish because it was part of my daily routine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yes, I do have that Catholic background and upbringing. Mm-hmm. And BRC- do you, oh, sorry. BRCS was the school and then it changed its name to St. Michael's. So Berlin oh. Regional Catholic School. And then it was, uh, St. Michael's. Gotcha. Um, and then, um, what about, have you, like, are you currently practicing? Um, what do you plan? What are you doing for Abel and talking about spirituality and religion with him? So, um, Katie is, is Catholic as well. Um, and so I have a funny way of kind of looking at Catholicism because of where I was. So 
the school I went to was kind of weird in the fact that it didn't really have like, you know, everybody pictures Catholic school having nuns with the ruler smacking you in the wrist. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't how it was. It was just regular teachers. And there was, there was occasionally like a mass and they had a religion class. Like, so that was part of the school. Right. So you didn't even have to be Catholic to go to the school, which was another thing. Like, it was more like a school with Catholic elements than a Catholic church with a school attached to it. Correct. Yeah. So fast forward, that was like most of the time I was there, like, you know, kindergarten, through eighth grade. When I went into the like seventh grade, the principal moved on and became like a principal down somewhere in like Manchester. Um, so um, we had, they needed to fill us this, uh, and uh, this, this, principal spot relatively quickly so the um the catholic schools were run by the catholic church the diocese right so they found a nun to come in and be the principal which like was odd because i mean it was i guess you would want that um in a catholic school or it's what's stereotypical but like we hadn't had that until that point so this lady came in and like for whatever reason like had these all these sweeping changes and i was the type of kid that was like well why are you making these changes and i asked questions and she didn't like the fact that i was asking questions <laughs> so you know i was always that little bit of rebellious kid and i would ask the questions and she didn't like it so long story short um she didn't like the fact that i asked questions she pulled me out in the hallway once and basically said you need to stop asking these questions because you're the type of kid that's going to go home and shake your baby and, and kill them when they're, when you become a father. And I said, what? So I told my parents this and like, I wouldn't make that up as a seventh grader. Like I wake up like this lady said I was going to shake a baby and kill it. And my parents were like, why would she say that after you were just like asking questions about why, you know, policies in school were changing. Um, so my parents were like, Hey, we need to talk to you about this. Like, what exactly did you say to them? And she lied. She told him she didn't say that. And I was like, lady, you're supposed to be like this lady of God or whatever. And I know that you're lying and you know that you're lying. So long story short, um, that was the beginning of my departure away from, you know, religion. Um, I can pinpoint it to that pretty much. And then there was all this, uh, you know, like nobody, like everybody talks about the Catholic church and they're like, Oh, little boys getting diddled. Like that different, that was never something that I was witness to or anything like that. And I'm certainly feel bad for anybody that um, had to be put through that. But then I found out that the Catholic church was like hiding that stuff and covering it up. And that just made me mad. So like, these people are saying this is how you should live your life and all these things, but then they're going to protect the people that are doing the things that they're saying you shouldn't be. Um, and obviously abusing children is never okay. <laughs> so I have a lot of, uh, uh, I have a lot of um, disdain for that specifically that all this stuff was covered up. Now I'm not saying that everything I learned there was, was ruined because of that. It just separated me. Uh, a little bit so to get where i'm at from that is you know i'm spiritual and i have some beliefs but i don't necessarily uh sitting in front of the catholic church um because of that um so i 
I'm a big believer in just trying to be a good person. Um, there's got to be something intelligent out there. I just don't know what it is. And um, I don't think I have the capacity to know what it is. Like, do you know how, com- I mean, out of anybody, you probably do, but like the idea to wrap my head around how complex our body's nervous system is or like how cells work and everything, this, it just, to me, there's got to be some intelligent design behind that. And there's got to be something. I just don't know what it is. And so, but, and then I guess, what about for Abel? Are you like, are you, are you, is is that part of like making him like a really just a good heart and you're trying to encourage that? So, so we've had like religious talk with him. Uh, Katie's definitely brought him to church and things like that. Um, I think a moral compass is very important to build into it, into a young mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're trying to do that to, you know, decipher right from wrong to talk about, things that are tough conversations you know with you know if you see something on like the news or like if he hears like this virus or like you know he talks about death and he talks about we've talked to him about disease and we've talked to him about cancer we've talked to him about like we don't want to hold him like and we're not going to sugarcoat anything because he needs to know like Mm -hmm. it's not fair to make a kid think one way in my opinion um that everything's going to be okay when maybe it's not. So we have to prepare him for those things, but also teaching him how to be a good person and how feelings make people feel, you know, like we talked to him about like his feelings. And if you do that to somebody else, how does it make them feel? Um, you know, we talked to him about right and wrong a whole lot. And I guess a lot of that ties right into, you know, religious religion in a way, because religion a lot of time is just a moral is like your moral code of ethics, I guess, or your code of morals, code of ethics. So, I guess we're doing those things with him and um, exploring that as he, as he would like, you know what I mean? So he talks about, he talks about God and he talks about, um, you know, things surrounding that Katie's family is very religious. um, So, you know, they're definitely influencing some of that as well, but um, I want him to be able to make his own decisions on that specifically. and I certainly don't fault my parents for sending me to like a Catholic school, but I felt like a lot, like now that I look back and a lot of the stuff was force fed on you. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in that scenario. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, and I think we've dug into a lot of those good topics that you brought up uh, for the I am prompt. Are you ready to dig into before I die? I want. Yeah. So how do you finish that next prompt of before I die? I want. So, um, I said that I wanted to, um, you know, set up my family for success, um, mm-hmm. or the after <laughs> when I go, but, um, I think I just want to be able to just live my life as a good person, you know, like make an impact where I can and, and, um, you know, leave it better than I found it. Is it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I include my family and, and, you know, the world as a whole. Mm-hmm. So maybe my little bit of an impact uh, will help somebody else be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there are the ways in which you're supporting your community through like the CrossFit gym and through uh, your firefighting and emergency response. Um, like that's, a, those are pretty big, like check, check marks, you know, it might not be like, you know, say, you know, saving the world, but it is like saving some, it is, you're doing a lot of like small, important work for your community. 
Sure. You know, and I've thought about, you know, expanding that, um, you know, and, and depending on which direction I go in in the next few years, you know, I can definitely see myself uh, being a little more political in mm-hmm. on, on certain stances. Um, and I can tell you that I don't want to dive into the hate that involves when it comes down to politics, but I also think that there's a lot of good that can be done if you do it for the right reasons, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, politics are a whole other bag of wax when it comes to the world and how things run. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of good that can be done. Uh, and I feel like I could see myself falling into a role like that at some point. Um, and I'm not saying I want to be a politician. I'm just saying that, you know, maybe there's a pathway for me to do something like that. I don't know what it is yet. Um, but I've told Katie several times I've thought about running for, um, different political positions, um, just to be able to make an impact and change things that I think are wrong. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think your your tolerance for things that are wrong are very low. <laughs> I think that's a very good character trait. Yeah, um, there's a lot of really th- nasty things out there in the world, and there's a lot of people that treat other people poorly, and I just can't handle, I, I don't do well with people that are getting mistreated and treated unfairly. And I just, mm-hmm. we could, nobody should do that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um. What is like, uh, like, what's an issue that really kind of hits home for you on a like a larger political level? Like, I'm, I'm something I'm thinking about is, um, you know, like your emergency response as a medic to like uh, opioid overdoses, um, and you know, people that are really caught in those cycles. Like, are there any specific issues that really light you up? On those, yeah, for sure. I, you know, one specifically is that there's this whole stigma behind like you know people in recovery and i'm not somebody who's falls in that demographic but there's this whole stigma of these people being like pieces of shit now like they can never recover from that they can never be you know a contributing member of society and i don't think that's fair because i know plenty of good people that they would have never guessed that have brought themselves out of that you know and one thing that drives me nuts is when somebody says well they chose to do it um sure they did but there's plenty of people that choose to pick up a drink too and drive drunk. Like, is that fair? Are they now big pieces of shit? Cause they don't, a lot of those people get introduced back into society and they're fine. You know, like, so what's the difference? One is just the, the substance and the mm-hmm. substance takes a grip on these people. You don't know where somebody's at. You don't know the path they've walked. You don't know what their, what choices led them or what lifestyle or whatever predicament led them to do what they needed to do at the moment. Mm-hmm. So who am I to, or who are you, or whoever I'm talking to this imaginary person, but like, who are you to <laughs> judge them and say that they're this giant piece of shit now because, and they can't, they're not redeemable. Like, I think everybody can be redeemed in, in a certain sense when it comes to that. Um, I do think there's some things that are not redeemable, like um, raping children is not redeemable in my, my opinion taking advantage of the elderly in my opinion is not is not redeemable but um that's just an opinion um i feel like there's you gotta put you gotta put yourself in somebody else's shoes before you can judge mm-hmm. and uh it's hard it's hard to not judge sometimes you know even as somebody that's saying that there's been times where i found myself doing that and then you gotta take that big 
breath of air and say, maybe I shouldn't be judging this person right now. And um, I've had great relationships that have come out of uh, that thought that of, or like I've had great relationships that have come out of maybe me judging somebody poorly and not realizing this is who stands behind the eyes of the judgment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've been fooled and I'm not afraid to admit that I've made made that mistake before. So that does fire me up when somebody shits on somebody for nothing or doesn't give somebody a chance. Mm-hmm. And, um, going back to your initial response of like wanting to make sure that your, you know, the people that you care about and love are um, taken care of. Uh, is that so, so sometimes people will want a, a thing because they saw it and they want to, to emulate it or they did not have that and they want it for the next generation. And I like, would you see, like you see yourself kind of fitting into one of those camps? Um, that's a tough question um what i see is that i've been inspired by other people mm-hmm. and maybe there's some people that aren't here um and maybe there are here but like you know there was always somebody that has had something i've appreciated so like maybe they struggled for some for some reason maybe they had a um a hardship maybe they showed me something that i was doing that was wrong um but they did it in a way that was like hey this is not how you should be acting but here's why and they did it in a a way that made me learn but indirectly i guess Mm -hmm. um so there's that appreciation of those people that have taught me things and i just want to be able to pay it forward and pass those Mm -hmm. things along you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um if somebody taught me something i want to be able to bring it to the next person in, in front of me so i think that's very important but also setting up the next generation for um, you know, some success. So, you know, there's a lot of things in the world right now, specifically that have come out of the shadows that like maybe people didn't think existed anymore. Um, like, you know, neo-Nazis are, or like white, white supremacy. Nobody was talking about this five, six years ago. And all of a sudden it came out of the woodwork. These things exist. So, um, not to go down a weird path and talk about that stuff, but, um, you know, like there's no way I want anybody that's in my lineage moving forward to be a part of something like that. So if I can instill some good qualities into people, maybe we can avoid that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of, I like that response where it's just like, you want, you, you got a lot, you learn a lot from other people and you want to make sure that the next generation keeps learning and improves things and maybe doesn't fall into weird bad habits like 1940s Germany, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked a lot about, you know, why CrossFit is important to you, why the fire service is important to you um, and how you want to continue that and the directions you want to, con- you want to go forward. Um, is there anything else that you want before you die? Yeah, I want to, uh, I just want to experience things. I want to go and travel. I want to like, I want to know things about the world that I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely somebody who likes to explore. So like, when I say like explore, I'm like, I want to see the stereotypical, like, you know, travel the world. I know it's a canned answer and it sounds really stupid, but like, 
I really do want to learn about other cultures. I want to learn about how people live. I want to learn about how um, my life is compared to other places because out of anywhere, I was born in the United States, right? So the United States is like, like the best place to be born, like super lucky about that. But also like, I want to know culturally how we're different than other places by visiting there and, and, you know, just experience that. Um, I feel like it's super cool and I feel like it would be super different because, you know, I grew up in a way of learning just this one way being where we are because of the country I live in, you know? So maybe it'd be cool to experience something different, you know, just kind of where I'm at. Have you had much international travel experience? uh not much not much of it i've been to some south american countries mm-hmm. um uh, central american countries and um so that's definitely been a uh learning experience but like we, we when we've gone to these places like everybody wants to go to the touristy stuff like oh, let's go to the beach and do stuff and i'm the person who wants to like go away from that and see how people are and see how people live. Mm-hmm. So we went to Honduras once and um, when we were down there, uh, we went to like a local restaurant and people were like, what the hell is this guy doing here? And uh, I was like, I think it's cool just to go check out how people live. So, you know, just trying to be accepting of how, who they are. And I asked questions and, you know, I ended up going there with like 10 American for 10, 15 American dollars and like, was able to pay for the whole restaurant. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like just to have some of that appreciation of where I grew up and uh, my background was pretty cool. But also, you know, being able to be accepted by those people was pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. And I also imagine, you know, there's, there's the, the travel that you do as like a young adult, but then also there's the travel of like, and I think this is speaking to what you're talking about with Abel and Olive in terms of like instilling in them like a wider acceptance of like traveling with kids, you know, and like showing them places that they'll, that's totally out of their worldview and just be like, look sure. at this. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like when I was a kid, I didn't travel a whole lot with my parents. Um, it wasn't like they didn't have the money for it. So mm-hmm. um, like I wasn't a kid who went to Disneyland. Like it would just never happen. And I don't, I don't, hate them for that i just didn't do it mm-hmm. so um uh, a few years ago i actually brought my parents because <laughs> i was like hey i'm gonna do it for you which was pretty cool like i that was a neat experience um because it was like mind-blowing for my parents to see them with this stuff you know like you know the big epcot thing it was cool to see my parents to see like holy shit this is this you know see it on tv or you hear about it but but anyhow, um, yeah, I definitely would love to provide more of those experiences for my children just because, you know, it's something I didn't have. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Is there anything else you want before you do? Or should we move on to that next prompt of when I die? Yeah, we can move on. Cool. Let's move on. Let's, let's dig into it. Because I think we'll, we'll, we'll get into some interesting territory here. So how do you finish that next prompt of when I die, I want? So I just want to be surrounded by the people I care about. Cause like, you know, I've visioned this a few times, like, you know, like, like I said, you, you can't predict when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, or, but you know, in a perfect world, you know, it would just be like, everybody's happy. Like, I don't want people to be sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want it to be like this long drawn out thing, but I just want to 
you know, I, I would want the people that I, I generally care about to be there. And I've told Kay this before. I'm like, you can't die before I do because that's not fair. I don't want to be live without you. Mm-hmm. So, like, to be able to have all my family there for that last moment, man, that's pretty important to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I just, you know, I want... I just want to be know, them to know that I, that I care about them, you know, mm-hmm. and then have that reciprocated, hopefully. <laughs> um, and I see from the outside, a couple of reasons why you might feel this way. So like one might be from like emergency responses and you see people who don't have that and they don't have the people around them. And, um, but I also wonder if there's uh, if there have been uh, deaths in your life that have affected you that um, make you either you want that's a death you would like to emulate or you don't want to emulate. Um, and I wonder, like, of those kind of things, which one do you think uh, is, the, is a big driver for? Yeah. So I've dealt with deaths uh, more than the average person has um, being emergency response. You know, I've seen tragic death. Um, I've experienced tragic death. Um, and I've also kind of been on the other side of it. I've been like that person that comes in and tries to save life, you know? Um, so the first time I ever really dealt with death was like in high school, my grandmother died and I never even been to a funeral before that. So, um, which was, you know, a crazy experience, um, as a teenager, you know, like you just, didn't see it coming um and then i had a a, one of my best friends committed suicide um which was obviously tragic and like you never get the answer why so that was my second experience with death was that how old were you when that happened uh i was 19 um yeah so um and you know just like everybody says you ask all these questions like i just saw them so like what did I miss? You know, why did this happen? Cause there was no, like, there was no answer and you're never going to get an answer. Mm-hmm. So part of that is just coming to terms with it. Um, but in my, in my, in my job, you know, I've seen tragic tragedy on that, on that end of things. I've seen, uh, untimely deaths. I've seen traumatic death. Um, I've seen children die, um i've done cpr on you know infants um and every single one of those every single one of those as tough as you are and as strong as you are and as much as you think it doesn't affect you it does um so a lot of times it's good to talk about those things um being a first responder but anybody any of the guys that say that they're not affected by that or it will, it will down the road. You know, we found unfortunate situations with, especially the kids. You know, if, if somebody's like elderly and it's just their time, then I don't feel so terrible about it. Um, but the, when, when I feel terrible is when I have to look somebody in the face and tell them that their family member is, is dead. Um, and I've been in weird predicaments with that. For example, like there was a lady that was deaf that called us and said, Hey, I can't get into my mom's apartment. She's not answering the door. 
she had her 10 year old daughter with her that was a translator and I don't speak sign language and it's protocol for us to tell the family, like the, the daughter's trying to charge in there. I'm like, you don't, don't come in, don't come in, don't come in. And, uh, you know, for me to tell her daughter to translate into sign language that her mom is dead was one that stuck with me for a little bit. Cause I had to look in this kid's face and say, you know, your grandmother's dead. And that is, it's so un, it seems so uncaring, but they, we can't sugarcoat things either, you know, and say, Oh, she's passed away or she's with God or whatever else. Like we can't say those things because it's not fair to that person in that moment. Um, you have to tell them the, the factual information. So it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I deal with a lot, unfortunately. Um, and it just makes, that's the not fun part of the job. Um, when you had, you have to deal with that, you know, especially when it's tragic and it's not expected. Yeah. And I also, something you had mentioned about, um, like how you are the one that when things go south or go sideways, you can be the one kind of like is the voice. But then when this news from Katie happened, you, you're, you're the one that was like, ah, like, Oh God, what do we do? What do we do? Um, and I think that's such an interesting like that, that blind spot that you're talking about of just like, you can be, you can be the person that has to deliver that bad news and you can be the person that charges into the burning building, but there's still like, it's still so different when it's your life or when it's your house or when it's your family member. Right. Totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, Cause it's a, little, it's a lot more personal at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you talked about your friend who completed suicide when you were 19. Has there been any other deaths in your life that have really stuck with you or taught you things? Yeah, there's, there's definitely been um, a few. So um, I hate to keep saying like suicide, but I've dealt with like suicide a number of times. So um, another good friend of mine's brother committed suicide. And um, uh, at the time he was my roommate and uh, he oh, had issues. Um, so I was working for it. And so I had to call him in the middle of the night and tell him, you know, Hey, why don't you go to the fire station real quick? You know, like that's never a good call in the middle of the night. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm down the fire station. I need to talk to you. So that was a tough one. Um, and then, uh, you know, Katie's grandfather, um, did the same thing. Um, that was another tough one. Just seeing her family, like, um, it's just one of those things that, like you don't, you don't, think that I didn't think it was gonna be how he, he passed you know it was I didn't expect it and um, just seeing her family get torn up like that and have the questions and trying to be there for them it's just one of those really tough scenarios where it's hard for it's hard for me to watch the other family members deal with that you know mm-hmm yeah, and it's um, and I think it's really interesting that a lot of these deaths by suicide, um, you know, they're they're the ones that really stick because there's a lot of questions. But uh, it, it, but like they st- they stick seem to be as just as sticky, if not more, than the ones that you you see in front of you from your job, right? Like there's just there's just such a big question mark about it. Sure, yeah, you know, like I've been uh, unfortunately seen people that have been murdered. Um, you know, I've been the first, you know, you walk in somewhere and, 
find somebody that's been murdered, it isn't, it isn't uh, pleasant by any means. And, you know, um, that person didn't want to die then. So I don't think anybody ever wants to die, but like when somebody's life cuts cut too short and it's tragic like that, it's very, very hard to, hard to understand, hard to comprehend, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the other thing is you see a lot of, a lot of guys on the job, unfortunately die of cancer and things like that. Um, because there's a high risk in our population for it. It's, you know, it's really, it's really shitty to see that. Mm-hmm. Cardiac deaths, you know, guys that are just not taking care of themselves that are you know, preventable. Like that to me is really tough when somebody has everything that they can to, they have the means to not have this had happened, you know? So, you know, that almost, it's frustrating, you know, like our society lets this happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of free choice and free will, and I will never take that away from anybody. But like, you know, it's almost like that. There's no care about taking care of oneself, you know. Mm-hmm. And there is, but I think on the grander scale, is it's not really emphasized as it should should be. Mm-hmm. And and I guess one thing that I want to circle back to is that like, like your job you deal with death in a lot of different ways um you know you see literally dead people but then there's also like putting your life at risk for certain in certain specific situations right and that's not something that most people can identify with like for me it is like i i went through a phase where i wanted to go where i was planning to join the marine corps and get deployed overseas like back when like 20 like 15 2012 something like that when things were really heavy but that was like one phase of my life. And then now that we're in this coronavirus thing and like my family's at risk and going to work is a risky pr- proposition. It really changed because before it was like, oh, I'm in psychiatry. I don't even touch my patients. This is fine. You know? But like for you, it is a very different, like for you and like, you know, police officer, you know, there's a very, there's a very small subset of people in our, in our like America world that experience risk on a daily basis as a result of just going to work. Right. And firefighters are one of them. Sure. And you know, there's this, uh, I signed up for it. So I don't like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, when people thank me, thank me for my service, you know, like I, I don't really like, I appreciate that. Don't, don't say I'm not downplaying that at all. Um, but I'm just like, I signed up for it. So, you know, it is what it is, but at the same time, yeah, there, we have a risky job. There is, you know, exposed to a lot more things that other people aren't. And when we say exposed, it's not like, yeah, it's dangerous going into a building fire for sure. But like, there's also those other um, dangers, like, you know, mm-hmm. staying up all night, going on calls and um, being exposed to um, traumatic things that nobody else has to be exposed to on a constant basis. So those are just as dangerous as the other things, in my mm-hmm. opinion, mm-hmm. Um, because there's plenty of guys that, are now in PTSD or have other problems in their lives that aren't you know, like necessarily dangers that you would think about. Right. So like it's dangerous not sleeping every night when you're at work. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous to be exposed to, tra- to trauma. It's dangerous um, because there's, other pathways that that can lead some people to whether it be addiction whether it be um you know mental health whether it be whatever else so 
Like that's the other things that like people, when they think you have a dangerous job, that's not the thing you think about, right? You think about like the burning buildings and the car accidents and standing on the highway and high angle rescues and, you know, going into a place where a guy's wanting to hurt himself, you know, like, so those are the things that people think about, but they don't think about all the other things that are dangerous for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying we're better than anybody else. Cause anybody could walk into work tomorrow and be killed. But they also don't have to be exposed to a lot of the, like if you're working in like uh like Liberty Mutual is big in Dover. If you're working at Liberty Mutual, you don't like have to stay up all night and um for your job. You don't have to uh see dead people, <laughs> you know, you don't have to see a kid who's drowned or you know, somebody who got electrocuted, like you know, mm-hmm. let's choose to cope with things differently and then there's the shift schedule you know sometimes i have to be away from my family for 48 hours or you know there's a lot of other commitments that come along with it so if there's some guys that don't have balance that as well as others and so then there's a risk of family exposing your family to problems um or whatever else mm-hmm. so you know if i gotta intubate somebody with covid19 like that's not a good day you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that's putting my family at risk so mm-hmm. Yes, it's dangerous, but um, it's dangerous in a lot of other ways that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. And how has your like relationship with that risk changed? Like, because it sounds like you and Katie have sort of been together the whole time you were like in- entering and starting in the fire service, right? But then, what about like Abel and Olive? Have they changed your relationship to like what risks you're willing to tolerate, or like how you're you know taking care of yourself? For sure. So um, it's definitely been more of a like, oh, I have to think about that too. So like, it's definitely given me more thought to like, things I have to be responsible for outside of the job. Um, Because I'm not saying I was ever not cautious before. So that's not definitely in the cards. But like, there's definitely more of that, like, hey, I can't leave my kids alone. I can't do that for them. I can't make them feel this way, you know? Mm -hmm. So definitely plays into it for sure. There's definitely a uh, connection there. I think risk management is, uh, has definitely been one of those things that makes you uh, appreciate your children a lot more um, because it makes you safer on the job for sure. I think that uh, also like, thinking about how I approach a like, tragic situation, I'll think about my kids and be like, what do I need to do so that this doesn't, uh, this doesn't happen to them? You know, like, so that's definitely a thought that runs through your mind. And it also helps you get out of those situations. Like just sitting down and playing with my kids, like mm-hmm. makes a lot of those bad, bad things feel relieved, you know, cause mm-hmm. then I can be like, well, at least I wasn't, you know, in this situation or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. that's kind of vague but i'm picking up what you're putting down yeah and, and the little oasis you can have just like a smiling little dude who's just like let's play with trucks <laughs> and you're like yeah let's play with trucks i don't you know. shut my mind off and i'll think about you know what i just saw a minute ago you know mm-hmm. absolutely um have you and like having seen people go through death 
like go from life to death. Have you thought about what you want your transition from life to death to look or feel like? Like the, um, or do you even, can you even imagine what that would feel like? I, I mean, it's hard to wrap your head around it. You know, like the one thing I don't want to do is make, um, I don't want it to be tragic for the sake of my family. You know what I mean? Um, so if I can avoid that, <laughs> that's the point of like being, fit and being you know taking care of myself that's definitely part of the reason for that um but i think that i don't know what it's going to be like nobody knows what it's going to be like you know um it's shocking sometimes to think about it because then you're like is it like the sopranos like we just shut off went to a black screen and then it's it like so like without it's a it's a subject that you think about once in a while and it might freak you out for a minute but you know everybody's gonna get there and it's it's gonna happen whether you like it or not so i'm inspired by people that are like i don't care if i die it'll be fine like that's definitely an outlook that is good because then they've had a good life i guess and you know maybe they're happy where they're at and that they can take that forward with them so that's definitely one that would be tough to kind of foster in yourself. But yeah. if you can feel like you're happy and you're complete, then maybe it'll be okay. Yeah. And um, so the wind really picked up here. So I need to close the windows in a second. But I think there's, there's also like that aspect, you know, that, that like it's different when it's you sort of thing like you can be around it but like for it to really be your experience of it of death and dying it's like oh you're like oh geez that's it's a lot right sure absolutely it's definitely a uh you know it's, the thoughts cross my mind like where are my kids gonna be like where are my wife gonna be like what's gonna what's gonna be you can have the future so you know who knows yeah, so you mentioned a number of deaths that were as a result of suicide and like sort of the tra tragic nature of them. But have there been any deaths that you're like, that's kind of a decent way to go? Sure. Um, there's definitely been like, so I know my grandmother and uh, my mom's mom, when she passed, um, she was with her sister and they were like, living together in a nursing home <laughs> but they were like the type that were like very they were best friends on top of being sisters so like mm -hmm. she had to die in a somewhat happy place for her because she liked being there she liked who she was with and i'm sure they were like every day was very um happy for her being where she was maybe she wasn't mobile anymore but like at least she was experiencing that with somebody that was very much the same as her if that makes any sense so um not that anybody wants to die in a nursing home uh but i think she chose to go there because she was living in the united states she went to canada and she wanted to go there because she wanted to be with her sister so i think she made that you know, choice and knowing i'm getting near death why don't i do this with somebody that can kind of be there with me so i thought it was kind of cool or to make that choice. 
Um, is there anything else you have on that list of when I die I want, or should we move on to the next one? Move on. Um, so how do you finish that final prompt of after I die? I want? So I said I wanted to be, uh, you know, remembered by my family in a positive way, I guess, is more or less what I want to be. And like having done things in my life that live on, I guess, and um, inspire others to do the right thing. So, you know, there's plenty of people that have done that and had great examples of like, done the, those done those things in a different sense. Maybe they're still alive, but like people have inspired me. So like, I know that there's things that I've learned that I can pass down. And there's things that I might, maybe my parents learned from my grandparents that they've passed on to me so i know that um it's super important for me to make sure that there's some some sort of lineage there you know mm -hmm. um whether that be instilling in like my son's kids or my daughter's kids if they ever have kids like these feelings of just being a good person and like doing right by others like you know i think there's like you can see how people kind of go down the path of their of their family in a, in a certain sense. So like, I think going back to like political things, like for example, like what's uh like the Kennedys, the Kennedys are politicians, right? They're all similarly minded. They all thought a certain way. I mean, I don't know their politics so much, but like there's still Kennedys now that are like following in those footsteps. So there has to be some sort of ideology that instilled that in them. Now, Maybe maybe not so much being a politician, but like maybe it's just doing the right thing and living that that way of like that clean living of, of putting others ahead of yourself um, and helping people and um, just getting satisfaction of, of uh, being able to live a full life that way. So I'm hoping that I can show my children that and people around me that and that way after I die, it continues. And I think it's um, it's been pretty clear from our conversation that it's like the the, the little ways in which it's just like just just be a good person. Like it doesn't need to be a big thing. Um, and I think that value being transmitted to that next generation and beyond um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely fearful for you know the future generations of like forgetting that. Um, of like, I just hope we don't go down the hole of like destroying our earth and destroying each other. Well, let's go down that rabbit hole. Let's let's talk like what do you what do you imagine for like five generations from now or like fifty? Like, what do you do? Are you optimistic? Are you worried? Are you like what? Where do you stand? I mean, so I'm optimistic in that go back five generations and like nobody thought they would have like this, like this is a key to the world. Like this shows you everything that you want right here. And it's in your hands, right? You can do look at anything in the world that you want to right there. So what haven't we discovered yet that will be in existence then? Mm -hmm. So there's certainly an opportunity for us to destroy our world, but there's certainly an opportunity for us to get out of, to fix it as well you know um do i think that you know the unfathomable surely could be within reach so like we we see on like tv and movies and things that like are just fiction at this point but maybe some of those things could be real like 
know, living on another planet. Um, you know, just our existence kind of expanding. It's hard to, it's hard to wrap your head around it, but I certainly think that those things will be, uh, able to be done because nobody understood, nobody thought that this was going to happen, you know, go back, go back to, you know, primal times. This is like, not a thing. <laughs> this isn't even a thought. So what is out there that we haven't even thought of yet? Mm-hmm. And do you, um, like, what do you think about your, what your personal experience of like, of what after death will be like? Do you have, do you, I mean, do you, do you subscribe to the Catholic view of, of like the afterlife? Do you, do you have something else? Like what, what do you, where, where do you land? I don't know. I like, I have, I've, that's something that, that um, almost brings anxiety a little bit. Cause I'm like, I don't know what there is. Like, am I just going to not be anymore? Am I like, so I think of it this way, like, what was it like before you were born? Do you remember that? Cause you can't like, is it going to be like that? So is there your consciousness going to be gone? Is it going to be somewhere? Is it going to be stored? Are you going to be frozen in the last moment of your life? Like, um, I don't know. It's, it's, there's no answer. Are are you cool with that uncertainty? Are you like just going to put it off until you get there? Um, I like putting it off till I get there. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about it, but like, you know, I, uh, I want to live in the moment. Mm-hmm. You got a, you got a lot of things to live for right now too. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, this is a, this has been a very fun conversation, and I'm wondering as we kind of like head towards the last little bit, um, is there anything else on that list of after I die I want? I don't. I can't think of anything right now. Um, this has been a good conversation. I've had a lot of fun with it, and uh, I feel like. You know, it's definitely been, um, you know, a good little piece of self-discovery. Good. And um, yeah, because, you know, when we were up, when I was up in New Hampshire, I didn't, we we were around each other a lot, but we didn't like sit down and and, like have a conversation, anything like this, you know? And so I'm really glad to have learned a lot about you. Yeah, definitely, man. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly rooting for everything that you're doing. Um, You know, we've definitely thought about you a lot. And uh, you definitely have inspired us up here for, you know, a number of reasons. I still use a lot of your um, mobility videos. (laughs) Oh, really? Good. Coaches once in a while and be like, hey, this is Eugene. He used to coach here, um, if you don't know. Um, So that was pretty cool. It's definitely definitely a good thing. So you're not forgotten. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Um, And I want to give you the floor the last few minutes or moments to talk to the audience directly, whether it is um, to Abel, you know, when he, you know, maybe he can process this whole, these, all these thoughts and these ideas, or maybe it's um, one of the members in your community, uh, in your gym, or somebody that you've helped uh, through the fire service, um, just, or somebody who's just like, oh, Matt, he's a pretty cool dude. Um, you know, the floor is yours. Cool. Um... I guess, uh, you know, there's a lot of things we talked about here. And um, I think ultimately, uh, you know, if you are somebody who is having a tough time in your life, um, and you want to get yourself out of the predicament you're in, I think one thing you can 
do to make everything better is to see where you can help others um, because you're going to get a lot of satisfaction out of that, but it's also going to be very rewarding. It's going to help you feel a lot better about who you are and what you are. Uh, and then the last piece of that is that you're, um, it's going to dictate who you become in the future um, if you decide to go the right path down that crossroad. Um, so if you can do the right thing and find your niche or what you care about and push, you know, help, help other people by expressing what you care about, um, your life is going to be a much more satisfying place to live in. So if that helps you, I hope it does. Thank you very much, man. Thank you, man. This has been Matt Michaud on death. <laughs>